You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Well, it is a joy to be able to share with you this morning. This sermon, if you want to call it that, this word, um, is about six months of reflection uh, of this past season of life. Um, It is also a story that I will share in a moment. But it is also prepping for this sermon, oddly enough. Um, The theme of expectant waiting. And this past six months, as I, as I just alluded to, has been a time um, of difficulty, uh, a time of uncertainty. It's got a lot of feedback. Okay, there we go. But even in the process of preparing for this sermon, um, this message, I um, was expectant upon the Lord to, to speak into what I was supposed to share today. And so up until even a week and a half ago, I wasn't sure of what I was going to be sharing um, because I wanted the Lord to speak into that process. Um, so I, I want to start with a story. It was uh, a few weeks ago. I was going to an event at my daughter's school called Board Games and Bow Ties, And it's where... Fathers or just uh, a parent could come to the the classroom and play board games of their choice with their their student. And I get off work a little early. I drive to the event. I'm excited to get to go go to a school function. And I was one of the earlier people. That's usually not the case. But I was one of the first ones there. And so the students weren't quite expecting dads to be showing up yet. So when I came to the door, I was greeted with this, Addison, your dad's here. And she zipped around and saw me and got so excited. And then I proceeded to go in, and that was cool enough as it was. That made my day. But then I was able to go sit down with Addison. She had made this huge bow tie for me. So one thing I forgot today, I was going to bring a picture of that. And she had a little one that matched that she got to wear as well. But it was what came next that stuck with me. And I shared it with my wife. And she said, that should be what you preach on. Um, Even though I was like, "Ah, I don't know. (laughs) And I still waited for the Lord to, to speak. But I was sitting on the floor with Addison. And I look up. And the whole room at this point now all the students have their eyes fixed on the door. And at this point, I haven't always been an emotional person in my life, but lately, since being a a father, but also just the past few years, and probably even today, I get really choked up. And so it was really hard to not just start crying at the sign of these kids waiting for their dads, for their parents to show up. And I locked in on one student, a friend of my daughter's, 
who, like myself, unless something crazy happened, I knew her dad was coming. But yet she was still on the edge of her seat, just intently watching that door. And it was in this moment that I had this thought of how cool is it that this little girl knows her dad's coming and yet she is on the edge of her seat just fixated for when he comes. So before I get into the bulk of what I want to walk through today, I just want to open with a, a quick word of prayer as we enter into the Lord's word. Father, waiting can be hard. Waiting can have seasons of frustration and trial. But I know that you call us to have an expectant, hope-filled waiting. And Lord, even in this morning, even in these moments, I am expectant that you will show up and that you will speak through me in ways that I have yet to anticipate. May our hearts be opened. May our minds be attentive to what you have for us this morning. Amen. So in John 11, it's the, the story of Mary and Martha, who I know a lot of us know of those characters. You know, Mary was the one that poured out the oil on Jesus' feet. Um, and their brother, Lazarus, is dying. So this is the, this is the scripture. I'm not going to read all 44 verses um, this morning, but I'm going to walk through the 44 verses as we have this in the back of our mind, this idea of expectant waiting. So Mary and Martha, their brother's sick. And so who do they send for? Jesus. Why? Because they know who he is. They know that if they call for him and he comes, he can and more than likely will heal their brother. But they also call because they know he loves them. It says in the, in, the, in the verse that they sent for Jesus and said, the one whom you love is sick. And so there's this relationship. And a lot of us have that relationship. A lot of us know our Jesus can heal us, can heal those around us. We know that he loves us. And so we call out to him, just like Mary and Martha did. And so then they wait. And it's in this spot that we don't know a lot. We don't know the heart of their waiting. But we know that they have to wait. And so I'd imagine, if it's like myself, if I know my brother's dying, there's an expectant waiting because they called for him, so they have this promise. But there's also probably some anxiousness, some uncertainty, because they themselves are human. But for those who don't know the story, what happens? Jesus doesn't show up when they want him to. Their brother dies. 
And so in this, I imagine this is the shift that takes place for Mary and Martha of this expectant waiting to this frustrated. As they start to see each hour, each day, the thought that their brother's probably going to die, their Jesus hasn't come yet. And so there's this shift. And we, I am assuming there's this shift because of the way that they approach Jesus when he comes. Okay? Which I'll get to here in a minute. But just like the cherry blossoms that we put up, we don't know when a tree will bloom. We have the promise that it will bloom, but we don't know when it will. In verse 4, it says, but when Jesus heard it said, he said, heard of, um, of their brother, the, the need. He says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he knows, right? He knows his timing is perfect. He knows that he's going to show up when it's most important for him and the Father's glory and for the people that are needing to experience that miracle. But Mary and Martha don't have that knowledge, right? They don't know what he knows. And so they're on the other side watching their brother die, not knowing it is for greater glory to God for this to happen. And so as I thought through this, and I know for a lot of us, it's this idea that you know, Mary and Martha wanted their brother to be, to be healed. And that is something that we want when we call upon the Lord, we are wanting healing. And it wasn't until the song this morning that I, I had shifted my perspective to Lazarus and his waiting. You know, I've been focused on Mary and Martha and their waiting. But sometimes the healing that we are calling for doesn't happen until we are called to glory with him. Sometimes we wait for something to happen on this earth that won't actually come until we are with him. But nonetheless, we are called to this expectant waiting. Our faith and our trust in Christ should compel us to not have a hardened heart as we wait, but to have a heart of expectant waiting. Because it may just be that our healing isn't what's going to bring God the most glory. It may be our suffering that brings God the most glory. And it is our suffering that allows for those that don't know him to encounter him better. So, their brother dies. I have mentioned that. But it's in that moment that Christ calls the disciples. Okay, come on. Let's go. Obviously, Christ is attuned to what is happening, and he was waiting for this moment so that his glory may be manifested in this situation. But 
this is kind of like a little side note, and I, I'm looking at the clock here, so I got to keep going. But I love the fact that the scriptures include dialogue between the disciples and Jesus. And it's in verse 7, and I'll, I'll quickly paraphrase, because the Lord says, come on, let's go. And they, they're like, whoa, you, we were just in Jerusalem. They tried to stone you, and you want to go back? So I love this dialogue of like they're questioning Jesus, as we often do, right? And then he's, he goes and gives this great metaphor, as he does, to allow them to understand why they're going back. And then he says, our brother, our friend has fallen asleep. And so then one of the disciples is like, well, if he's asleep, that means he's getting better, right? And I can imagine Jesus in this moment just being like, gosh, do I have to explain everything to you? No, he's dead. And so I love that picture. I love that like little snippet of we are human just as the disciples were. You know, we are in the spirit just as the disciples were with Christ, and yet we're still going to question. We're still going to have to have things explained to us. But then we jump forward, and Christ is approaching. So it's not Jerusalem. It's just outside of Jerusalem. But Christ approaches to where Mary and Martha are at. And at this point, people from Jerusalem have come to console Mary and Martha because in that, that's the culture that people were to come to weep and grieve with them. But word got to Martha, and it's always about Mary. David Roller preached about this, uh, this, this passage, and he, he pointed to the fact, you know, people always talk about Mary and how she poured out the oil, but it's in this moment that Martha was the first to get word of Jesus. And I like to think that she ran. It doesn't say that but it says that she got up out of the house and met him before he, she, he came into where they were mourning, where he was buried. And what is it that she says to him? The very first thing that she says, if you were here, my brother would be alive. So that's where I, I think that that shift happened, right? That expectant waiting shift to this frustration, this anger. How often do we in our lives have that same, God, why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you delivering me? If you were here, this would have been better. This would have been different. But I think it's really cool what she says after the fact. Sorry, this is where I get a little emotional. So, in verse 7. No, verse 22. That was previously. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so we are called and invited to Come to the Father with that boldness. And I like to think it's because they had a relationship. But as I read that, that story of this waiting, of this frustration, but to come with boldness. And it's oftentimes when we come with boldness to our Christ that he reveals himself to, to us. But I love how even in that frustration, her faith 
still compels her to know the truth of God. Even now that my brother is dead, you can still do whatever you ask of the God to do. And then Martha runs back. I like to think of it all as running because of the urgency that's involved here. And gets Mary. And Mary leaves the house and comes out as well. And what was the first thing she says? The exact same thing as Martha said. If you were here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary begins to weep. And what happens next is just another neat picture of the God in who we serve and the God who lives with us is that then Jesus begins to weep. And I think this is a really intimate picture of how God chooses to reveal the fully humanness of him. And we know that he weeps. It's not just like a wipe a tear away. Because the, the, the scriptures dictate how the crowd says, oh, look how much he loved him. Right? Jesus weeps with us. We have a God that mourns with us in our waiting, in our frustration, when we come to him in boldness. And then what follows, you know, a big chunk of this scripture deals with pointing to the fact that Lazarus is just a corpse and that Christ is the resurrection. That he is, he is ministering this word that there is something better to come. But in this story, the next thing that happens is that Jesus raises him from the dead. The miracle happens. And just like the cherry blossoms that bloom, we don't know when they will come. But we know they will come. And we know that it's not really the cherry blossoms that we're, that we're waiting for. It's the fruit to come. The cherry blossom is just the promise. And looking over there, what beautiful, beautiful signs of God's promises in our lives in this church. But it's the fruit that we long for. It's the resurrection power that we long for. And so it's the fruit that's the miracle the fulfillment of his promises. So I mentioned, as I close this morning, um, this is birthed from a story, my own story. And I think in God's goodness, he actually had me walking through a season of winter, a season of waiting during the winter months. But this has been a season of me asking, knowing who God is, knowing his promises, God, show up. Where are you? 
I'm asking for these things, and yet you have not been showing up in my life. But I've realized something. We don't wait alone. You know, we have the fortunate reality of the Holy Spirit that Mary and Martha had yet not had. You know, we get to wait with the one who we are waiting for. But we also have each other. And in this season, I realized that I was allowing my heart to harden in this waiting, this expectant turned into a heart of frustration and a heart of confusion. And it wasn't until I shifted my mind back to this idea of expectancy. The definition of expectant is having or showing an excited feeling that something is about to happen, especially something pleasant and interesting. And I never really looked up that definition before. But then over the, the, the next couple months, these past couple months, the Lord and his goodness and his gentleness started revealing to me himself, started showing up in small little ways. And as that process was unfolding, realizing that he was showing up all along, it's just my heart wasn't postured in a way that I could see it. And it wasn't until I allowed the love of God to wash over me, to truly abide in him, to allow this head knowledge that I had to fully fill my heart. And it wasn't until I opened up my life to those around me that I started getting these moments of clarity, these moments of God showing up in my life. In this season, the people in this room have ministered to me greatly. And if I'm allowed to come back someday um, on this stage, to have a heart of expectant waiting means living in covenantal community with one another, and it means abiding in the love of Christ. Because if you do not do those things, your heart will become hardened. It'll become frustrated. And that's not what we want for one another. And so I, I go back to the story of my daughter's classroom. As we're waiting in these winter months, because the winter is important. We've had multiple words in our worship night of this winter season and how we're supposed to not throw that away or to have that be a point of frustration. But it is in the winter months that the flowers start to bloom. It's that process, that working process. And so we've had that spoken over. And as we walk through these, these times of trials, as you walk through waiting, how are we waiting on him? Are our eyes fixed on the door? Are we on the edge of our seat 
so excited? And are we living in a, in a manner that we can help point each other to when he shows up? <gasps> Addison's dad's here. So church, let's abide in that love as we wait. Let's abide in each other as we wait and let's help us Help each other as we go on this journey. What is our posture as we wait on him? Let me close this in prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the ways in which you use your people to bring life to each other. Lord, thank you for the way that through your love and through your church, we can turn wrestling to dancing we can turn frustration into expectant waiting. Lord, as you have promised cherry blossoms for 1208, we know and have seen your promises come to life. So in our own lives, in the life of this church, maybe we have expectant waiting, knowing that you are going to show up and it's going to be amazing. Thank you, Lord. Amen.